0: You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hi there. You're listening to the Skylight Books podcast, Skylit. Today is the first episode of our new special series, Lit Angeles. My name is Emily Van Kanet, and I'm here today with my very special coworker, Elena Saunders. Hi, Elena. Hi, Emily. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, It's so great to be here with you. We've been planning this podcast for what feels like a year, but a year. You haven't been because I haven't been working there for a year. Yeah, but like, might as well be have been a year. But we've been like talking it. about this for so long, um, and yeah, Lit Angeles is our new series. Yeah, and um, uh, Emily, tell us why are we doing this series? Yeah, for sure. Well, so the series is focused around Los Angeles novels and mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. Los Angeles novels are. So we will be reading a book, an episode. Yeah. Um. to kind of explore what the Los Angeles literary scene is. Yeah, totally. I mean, like when I moved to Los Angeles, I'd never planned on moving here. And I moved here, what, like 10 months ago. Um. And I found it a very confusing city. And so when I'm confused, what I like to do is read a bunch and hope that helps. So we kind of both were like thinking about, you know, what it means to be a writer in LA, what it means to live in LA. And we thought the best way to explore that would be through the books that LA made or the yeah. books that made LA. Yeah. But that's the thing is like, no one talk. we talk about all the great art that LA makes, but like very rarely is it books. Yeah. You think about like New York being a great literary city, you think about Paris and London and Yeah. Like so many other great cities of the world, which LA is among. And like, there's not like a hard literary scene that you can look to in the way that you could look to like old Hollywood or like Topanga Canyon as being like hubs for like great art about LA. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we thought to, uh, to start Start talking about l a literature, yeah, so we're, we're gonna, gonna talk about it and figure it. Yeah. <laughs> it, figure out what the great books are, what the great who the great writers are um and yeah, like I've been here for three years now and and it's a hard city to figure out, and it's really interesting looking at these books and seeing people try and figure out this city as well, so we're gonna be talking about that a lot for sure, yeah, so yeah, so our first book, our what's first our first book? book? Like our first book is The Big Sleep by, by Raymond. Raymond Chandler. Our boy, Raymond Chandler. Mr. Chandler. Mr. Chandler. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. So, yeah, why Why this book? Why, why this book? Well, because it's like quintessential L.A. Like, it's noir. It's like old Hollywood. Yeah. It's like, you know... We're we're going to definitely get into what makes noir so, so absolutely Los Angeles. But yeah, it's the first of its kind in many ways. It's like the beginning. It's like the first detective novel of Los Angeles, which is crazy to say. But like PIs are so important. Cops are so important to like how we visualize L.A. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you can really think about L.A. without stumbling upon like Hard boiled detective, you know, like meh, yeah. Why is it always raining though? I feel like it's always raining, it's, yeah. It's always raining, it's always gloomy. Like in this book, I think there was maybe one mention of it being sunny out, yeah. And I'm You're like, like it's literally sunny right now, <laughs> no, like, that's not accurate to my experience at of LA. All. It's almost like <laughs> maddening, maddeningly sunny out all the time, all the time. But anyway, we can, we can, yeah, get we'll get it, weather complaints whatever, later. weather, weather complaints on our own time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so for just a little intro into the book, if you're not not familiar, why not? Yeah. Also spoilers, most likely. Spoilers ahead. I think we will tiptoe around some of it, but... I might not tiptoe. Okay, no tiptoe. We're not tiptoeing. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers ahead. But just as a little taster, here is my description. If I were to sell you the book in the store, this is what I would tell you. (laughs) Yeah. So the story of The Big Sleep follows Philip Marlowe, who is a PI in LA, who has been tasked by this very wealthy man, General Sternwood, who's like in super poor health. Mm-hmm. He has these gorgeous daughters who are nothing but fucking trouble. Yeah. Um, Love that. And he's being blackmailed. So he he calls on Philip Marlowe uh, to help him. If you don't know who Philip Marlowe is, it, this is the first book he appears in and he goes on to be... In uh, all the big ones. All the big books yeah. that have now been adapted into movies. So he's been played by everyone ever yeah um and varying degrees of success <laughs> yeah for sure. yeah um but yeah the thing about Philip marlowe is he like moves through the world and like this this very wealthy world with a lot of ease and like yes. he's a man of no means and like very poor does this work for very little money but he takes the money of the rich to then expose their secrets yeah, in a pretty incredible way. Yeah, um, yeah, and so through through this book, he solves murders, like racketeering, kidnappings, porn, porn rings. rings. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. yeah, it's you know you're not gonna miss a crime, miss a vice. No, 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 In this book, but they got them all. They got them all. Arson mm-hmm. might be the only one that wasn't. No, no arson. There. No yeah, arson. You're right. yeah, yeah, I don't think so. No. Like, is there arson? Because like there could have been. No. Could have slipped that in there. Exactly. So that's like the basic premise of the book. Yeah. Um, Did you like reading the book, Emily? I did. Because I think, like, would I normally pick out this book? No. Yeah. Um, No. But not for myself. Absolutely not. It's like something I normally recommend in the store. If You're like, hey, my dad really loves, like yeah John Grisham novels and I'm like have you tried Raymond Chandler a little bit older more classy less you know (laughs) yeah more style more styled yeah and so I was surprised to find how much I enjoyed this book yes I was surprised to find how much you enjoyed this book too I I you know I like went in and out of it like I felt there were a lot of like very he's very descriptive mm-hmm. like of the physical surroundings um of the characters and I found that to be like very hard to pay attention to um but there were moments where I was it was a real page turner for me um so yeah I think I would, I would feel kind of kind of similarly in that like I would never have picked this out for myself but I'm happy that I read it yeah I mean it's like bit it's I in our research of this book I was It's crazy to see how many people are, like, this has been listed by people as, like, one of the top 100 books of all time. Yeah. Which, would I put it there? I still don't know. But I think what you're talking about with, like, the way the action works is, like, he talks about the – Chandler talks about this with his writing. It's, like, that he would write 30,000 words and walk away with four words. And so (laughs) I think his, like, way of writing is, like, very incisive. Like, it's very – Every word matters. Yeah. Um, and they're all words of action or like setting the scene yeah. in a very specific way that might help later. Yeah, it is very true. They are all words of action. That's yeah. a really good way of putting it. I mean, also, I think like there's a lot moving in this novel that like, I think you can read this novel in one of two ways or Two of two ways, actually. <laughs> um, but like, there's like obviously the action and the plot, which is like very fun and thrilling and kind of like dark and whatever. Um, but there's also like a lot of the underlying stuff. Um, you know, like we talked about in the 1920s, uh, there was a huge boom in population in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, and then and then the Great Depression hit. So it was kind. Of, so there's like the real darkness of um, of people trying i mean yeah i just think that there's like kind of uh and i don't know you can disagree with me if you think this is wrong but like there's kind of um a social critique happening oh there's absolutely a social yeah, it's like I'm primarily like, social critique yeah yeah exactly so i don't know why i was so timid in saying no that, but it's like, like absolutely that, like I? this detect this dude is here this like Mar- like marlo is here and chandler is using marlo to like expose the seedy underbelly of this city. Yeah, and not only the seedy underbelly, but to, like, show these, like, super rich people. And, like, it's kind of, like, a great equalizer where it's, like, well, like, these super rich people are also super messed up and, like, really uh, devious and, and and you know, they all have their faults. It's, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and it's, like, when we picture L.A. as so glamorous and mm-hmm. people blocked here for the glamour yeah like to then see that like a lot of people here have to make their money and like especially at the time this is like during prohibition yeah when so many things were illegal and um to like have these people then to like participate in crime in order to like make their way yeah it's like a huge part of it and also you're watching this city get built up in ways that are corrupt, that like, yeah, you know, are the foundation of this city. And that's what Marlowe, I think, sees and wants to like, or I get, I keep seeing Marlowe when I mean Chandler. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, one in the same, probably. Kind of, yeah, um, I, I think so, because so, I mean, we talked about this, but like, yeah, Chandler was an alcoholic. Yeah. definitely participating in the prohibition yeah, and all the drinking and like, you know, he's probably been arrested by cops a handful of times. And I would imagine, I would many imagine. Many a time. So, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, running into all these problems and these people. Yeah. Yeah. That so it's think, like so clear in his work that yeah. he's like, I got to get a little guy who's like shockingly ethical, very so ethical, very ethical, ethical to like solve these Whoa. crimes. Yeah. yeah. Like what a, weird woke man i know like for the for that time period yeah you know, what did you I make know. of our leading man uh you know i thought it was interesting because as i was reading it um i was kind of weirdly wondering like what would far uh what would philip marlowe do in like these particular situations that I'm going through in my life right now. Sure. um, Which like, I don't, being a young single girl, being a young single girl, (laughs) and all the difficulties that that entails. But then I was realizing, like, as I was asking myself those questions, not that I would, you know, want to follow in his footsteps, but um, I was realizing that we don't really get an insight too much into like, who Philip Marlowe is like, his background or or like his actual life outside of his detective work which was like maybe he doesn't have a life outside of Mm -hmm. his detective work which is fair um but yeah and then we were talking about a few moments in the book where you actually got to have like key insights into who he was um and (laughs) I mean the one thing about noir that I really or at least like this book that I really did like is the kind of um the real duality of almost all of the characters like they could be both very good and very bad and Mm -hmm. very corrupt and very pure and they kind of would turn from you know abruptly turn from the good to the bad and back and forth like that Uh, and like marlo is a great foil to all of these people like mm -hmm. he would walk into these situations that were like insanely tense or like where he would really like put himself at risk, like... Yeah. Like, he would just, like, sneak into place... He sneaks into places where, like, he could get shot. Yeah. And he's just so cool. And never has a gun. Never has a gun. Never has a gun. Always steals their guns. (laughs) Always. Walks away with, like, seven guns. And he's just like, got another gun. I got these guns. Um, And he's just always, like, yeah, like, dodging bullets. Like... Yeah. In this crazy way. And then these people kind of, like, almost, like, turn to putty in his hands. Like, they... Yeah. I'm in part thinking about that scene towards kind of towards the end where he is driving with one of the daughters out yeah, um, to the ocean and she wants to sleep with him. Yes, the first Mrs. of the Reagan. two daughters to want to sleep with him. Yeah. yeah. The, the Mrs. Reagan. Yeah. Mrs. Yeah. Reagan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, she's like putting on the moves and yeah. he's like, so like, tell me the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Does this guy, What does he have on you? You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and she's like, what the heck? You're still working an angle. And he's like, I'm always working an angle. I'm like a PI. This is what I'm here for. Like, I'm doing my job. Yeah. And it was like, there was this, and she was so embarrassed and so ashamed and like, you know, really, it's interesting that he's like a non-sexual person. Who's still like charming the pants off of everyone? Yeah. Totally. Um, and he's like such a non-sexual character. He really is like a very non-sexual character. It's fascinating. It's really interesting, especially like with the kind of um the rep that the whole genre has of being like, you know, you know, I don't know. Yeah, like, I mean it's like it's like there's so many sexy descriptions in this book, oh and my like God, yeah. so many sexy ladies. And it's so like he's just like meh and he like he sees it and it's like a little winky and then it's like but he's like but I'm I'm here to fight crime yeah yeah and yeah, then yeah. corruption yeah. yeah totally and and do it without, without having any sex ever yeah no sex ever like he might get a little <laughs> sorry am I allowed to say boner on the podcast well we're gonna find out you might get a little boner about My it but way. like <laughs> But, like, he's, like, gonna shrug it <laughs> off and move on. Yeah, I remember there was one point with, um, what's the, the younger sister's name? Carmella? Uh, there's, yeah, there's Carmella, and then I, yeah. And Mrs. Reagan. Carmen. Sorry, Carmen, Carmen. Carmen. Yeah. Um, Carmen. Yeah. She, she's, I think she is at the point where she's, like, naked in his bed yeah like a little pearl yeah like a little pearl that's how he describes she he comes home to his apartment and she's naked in the bed yeah exactly and then um which i also loved that scene because he was like could tell something was wrong because he has a murphy bed and his murphy bed was down he was like something's afoot because like it's a murphy bed it's one of the ones that folds up into the wall oh so he's like (laughs) has this moment where he's like something's weird and then he's like my bedstone. what's going on and Did then like a, this naked on. woman appears out of the bed like oh my a girl but there was a moment there where he said like she had the look on her face and that real or something about like a woman's body not always being irresistible to a man which I yeah. thought was really interesting yeah for some reason it kind of caught me yeah but um Yeah, I don't know what question we were talking about We were just talking about him and how interesting he is. And I do think that he's, like, such a great detective. Mm -hmm. Like, solving all these crimes. Like, literally, it, like, falls. It's, like, it's, it's, I think we see him thinking about it, like, twice. Yeah. Like, he's just, like, he's, like, no, no, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally. And then also, yeah, he's so charming and all these people who are so corrupt. They all take to him. Yeah, they all, like, really are, like. Man, you might have just figured me out, but I like you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. They're like, I like your work, man. I feel like he'd be the kind of dude to be like, oh, yeah, Mr. Stern, General Sternwood is, I think I'm his best friend. He's not my best friend. Oh my you God. God you know he I mean? would absolutely say that. Um, uh, there was like one more thing that I wanted to talk to. Oh, so we were talking about the description earlier mm-hmm. and how much description he puts into all these like physical places in his book. And I was thinking about it in terms of like a lot of, even like the description of the Sternwood mansion or whatever is kind of grotesque in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's kind of um, eerie. Uh, And I was thinking so much about, about the way that he described what you would normally think of like a beautiful, open, like lavish kind of palace. And he describes it in with the exact same kind of language as he describes you know, um, like, Geiger's house. Is that mm-hmm. Geiger? Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. That's how I've been pronouncing it. I would say bit. so. Let's go with it. Yeah. But I'm just, like, I'm, I think I'm really obsessed with that kind of, because I feel like that's mud, that must be what drew a lot of people to this genre at the time. It's yeah. kind of, like, the like maybe low-key or maybe not-so-low-key resentment of, like, the wealthier classes at that mm-hmm. time when so many had so little. Yeah. And to see, like, them as rep- them represented not in like this beautiful like way, but in kind of a a grotesque opulence, yeah, you know I mean? and he always made this the the sternwood family the family that was like he was working for, yeah, he made their like opulence feel silly, like it felt mm-hmm. silly. I really liked this one line, he's on the phone with Mr. Norris, who's the butler of the Sternwood family, Yeah, and talking about, like, General Sternwood is not in good health at all, and and he's, he's, this, figuring out the situation is, like, you know, one of his, like, dying kind of things. Yeah. Because he, yeah, for many reasons, but, um, but he's, so, Marlo's on the phone with Mr. Norris and he's like, yeah, I'd love to come over and drink his brandy. Could you get it ready for me? He's like, I'll drink his brandy, yeah, and his yeah. champagne, and it's like so funny. And just like Mr. Norris, like he's like he's like he smirks over the phone, yeah, he's like, yeah. And it's like because we are just the men that work for these people, yeah. Exactly. And it's like these little tiny moments where you can tell that he he put so much into making this like the every word matter yeah 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 exactly um um yeah so I think um yeah do we have any closing thoughts on this book Uh I liked it I probably won't read any of the other ones but I did enjoy it yeah um
1: yeah. I might read another
0: one will it be right now no. no there's too many things to read in the world for me to that's my feeling too Perhaps read this again. But then again, I'm not one to tend towards mystery. And I found this like it's interesting, I think, just kind of quickly, like the way mystery works in this book, like right. it's not we're not working towards um like some grand finale. Yeah. We do kind of get a grand finale. I think there's a which bit is long, also yeah. an interesting of the like sexuality thing totally that it ends up being this girl who is spurned by a, a man yeah um and uh i think there's something interesting that like though it's like these piles of crime mm-hmm. crime after crime and like within each crime is another crime yeah it's very layered it's very layered and he just kind of picks them off one at a time yeah i felt like the the plot was a really I mean, the plot was very interesting, the way it was all kind of woven together, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it started out as one thing, as like a blackmailing case, and then it slowly had, kind of evolves and then overlapped with yeah. this other case. And then he witnesses a murder, and then yeah. there's another murder that's tied to that murder. And exactly. then in order to figure out the bigger thing, it still goes, it goes back to the racketeering, which is the the thing at the the yes. big money that's like guiding all of this yeah exactly so it's like really interesting that um it's like he kind of represents like a like he's like an optimist almost like picking apart the corruption of this city like one by one and it's like yeah very interesting that he he does that yeah it's kind of interesting that you call him an optimist um because I would never really thought of it that way, but I. Yeah. But now that you say that, I can kind of. Um, you can kind of see that. Yeah, because he never really like. He never really. Um, what it was a word for you? like dooms anybody? You know. No, he doesn't really it's ever like it kind seems of condemn like, them. Yeah. You know, like even at the end with Carmen, he's he's like, okay, well, sorry, big spoiler, but like you know, she tries to shoot him. And yeah. She, he's a kind of already figured out her her deal and is loading her gun with blanks. And as he's talking to her older sister, Mrs. Reagan, he says, kind of like, "Okay, well, get her the help she needs." Yeah, get her out of town. Get her out of town. Drive her the fuck out of here, and yeah. then and then like get her the help she needs. Which yeah. is like, okay, that's really kind of an interesting idea that like he's not condemning her he, he's like, not saying well i'm sending you to prison and he like never turns to the cops no because he doesn't trust the cops and it's like i think kind of on the final note of this it's like the pi is such an interesting figure because the pi barely exists in the real world but mm-hmm. it's like such a great fictional tool yeah to like you know undercut the the um. Corruption of the City. Yeah. Like, I'm obsessed with Veronica Mars. Me too. And, like, Keith Mars, ex-sheriff, oh, so turned PI with cool, cool daughter to help out. It's, like, what Absolute a great little, like, sweetheart. fascinating, in a time when, like, cops are a complicated terrorist. I'm not gonna like the cops. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna present a nuanced opinion. I'm like, yeah, in a time where I hate the cops, the cops as I always do. Cops are terrible and always have. Been. And always have been. Yeah. I was in my research for this. I was watching a funny interview where this like British guy was like doing a Marlowe, uh, a Raymond Chandler tour of LA, yeah. and and um, they go and talk to the Santa Monica police. And he, the Santa Monica police officer was like. Well, he never talked bad about the Santa Monica police. (laughs) I find interesting. And I was like, he's like, all the other police departments have been corrupt in the past, but not Not Santa Monica. Not Santa Monica. And Raymond Chandler knew that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) He knew. And I'm like, oh my God. But like, all in all, I think it's like this crazy kind of like outsider. Like thing in this society.
1: And then the city. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Like the PI thing. The PI thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because you don't have to operate, I guess, like, cops don't really have to operate in the, within the law either. Really not. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, like, on paper, you don't have to operate uh, within the laws or, like, the rules mm-hmm. of a police person. No. Yeah. So he gets to find justice in his own way. Yeah, so he gets to kind of like exactly find justice in his own way. And like in a lot of ways that's the kind of justice that is more appropriate. Yeah. Like you know, get Carmen the help she needs. So in the end, what do you think makes this maybe this is gonna be our closing question. Okay, what's because we're clearly navigating this for the first time. Yeah. The closing question (laughs) of this segment is what makes this an LA novel, besides the fact that it's obviously obviously set here. But what are like the components that feel okay, but like so LA? The you. emotional components of this book that or physical feel or physical. Well, not the weather as we've discussed, but um, I mean, he does like kind of live in Los Feliz. I know, Melbourne. which he is lives exciting. on Franklin. He lives on Franklin and Kenmore. Yeah, I was like, ah, I'm yeah, like, I know that. I know that. I walk there. Yeah. Um. No. What What makes this book feel like very LA to me is kind of. That thing we were talking about, like, the um, undercurrent of, like, real darkness. Mm-hmm. And also, um, oh, I just completely forgot. Oh, but, like, yeah, the, 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 the darkness set against, like, glamour. Yeah, exactly. so truly L.A. Yeah. yeah, me too. And also, um, oh, my God, I just forgot again. Uh, yeah, I'll just go with that. I think the darkness set against um, the glamour. Also, this is what I'm going to say, like, the the aspect of desire of, like, mm. you can tell that the, like everybody in this book, desires something yeah you know and like what happens when does your desire for something goes unfulfilled and you have to turn to other places to fulfill that yeah. desire um and I think it does a really good job of like showing that but not necessarily addressing it or like trying to solve that mm-hmm. you know what I mean so that's what makes it pretty LA to me what about Emily, what about you? I mean, that's a perfect answer. I like my answer is cars. Like I don't like they're <laughs> in always cars in cars. Too, yeah. yeah, they're always in cars. He he. Like I think there are just like really nice moments of like yeah, and then I had to drive like forty miles to Pasadena. Yeah, um, and I'm <laughs> yeah. hoping I can make it back. <laughs> yeah, like just things like that. Yeah, that's so real. Um, and just yeah, like kind of the navigation of the city in that way. Yeah, it there was like it did feel like such a strong like physical like, emotional presence of Los Angeles. Yeah, for um, sure. I, I felt that, too, especially when he was talking about driving. And was, then I had to turn left and then after. That yeah, I was exactly. like, oh, my God, oh this my is God. exactly L.A. only shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, I think you're exactly right on the, like, on those, like, very complicated feelings in L.A. of, like, yeah. wanting something more and then the struggle for, like, those, those things that are, like, the fantasy yeah of LA. The fantasy of LA exactly, yeah. and, and I, I think like coming he... up totally full force against the reality mm-hmm. of LA yeah and those two things kind of in conflict together yeah it, it makes it for a great tension yeah um in a book and in life and <laughs> in life <laughs> <laughs> um so we're going to be talking to one of our favorite people one of our favorite people Jonathan Ames um he is a writer he writes crime fiction that's right uh he wrote an incredible show called yes. Bored to Death. The oh, so good. Um, and is just also a great reader. I don't want to expose the secrets, but um, we see him all the time. We'll yeah. say that much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we're so excited to talk to him today. Yeah. Um, about this book and how much Marlowe Noir has influenced his own work. Um, and we'll be doing that with throughout this show. Um, talking to writers about. The authors that we're reading, yeah, the authors yeah. that we're reading, because you know we want to know not only what was happening in the past with these books, but also like what LA literature looks like right now. Because something I was realizing as we were like truly talking about this book itself is like it's a baby city. Oh yeah, like in comparison to those great cities we were talking about, it's like we have like it's a hundred years of literature. Like this was in the thirties. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. the first LA novel. Yeah no it's a baby city so we're excited to kind of talk about you know what the lit life looks like going forward in LA yeah yeah Um, so we're so excited to have today's guest Jonathan because I think he he really exemplifies yeah LA writing and the future of LA writing so uh stay tuned for that um so excited thanks Elena thanks Emily yeah is the author of the detective novel A Man Named Doll and he has a new mystery novel coming out this September called The Wheel of Doll. Welcome Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Oh we're so happy to have you. Yes yes Yes. Um, and we're here to talk to you today. I mean we've already done our whole intro to our discussion of the book Um, but so we're excited to hear what you think about The Big Sleep. So what is your relationship to The Big Sleep? When did you first read it?
1: Oh, uh, good question. And I have my edition, since this is a bookstore podcast, um, and it, it features Robert Mitchum on the cover. It's like a kind of little mini paperback. Uh, so I must have started reading Chandler. This friend of mine at the time got me into Chandler. I think this was like the late 80s, early 90s. I hadn't read him yet. Um, and I was, I think I'd already published my first book. 1989, so it was like around 1989, 1990, I started reading Raymond Chandler, and, just, and I've been rereading him, oh my god, 30, that's 32 years ago, so I've been rereading the whole Chandler oeuvre every five years or so, kind of like a cicada or something, but reading-wise, I just pour over uh, Chandler again and again, so, you know, my two favorite writers, oddly enough, are the writers that I've gotten the most pleasure from. In my life, the, well, two of the top five, let's say, are Raymond Chandler and P.G. Woodhouse, and they both went to the same English boarding school at, around the turn of the century. Woodhouse left it a few years before Chandler got there, so there must have been some remarkable teacher at this school. The name of which I don't can't pull out <laughs> of my. I, I when I forget things, I call them junior, senior moments. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they both went to school and. Because, and both of them write the most delicious sentences. That's what I think makes Chandler, uh, you know, being so read over and over again and for years is because his prose is just so much fun.
0: Yeah, I was I was certainly like shocked to hear that he he's not British, but he spent so many years of his youth
1: his formative his year. formative yeah.
0: years. I was like, for such an American novelist to be britain i felt a little british i felt a little betrayed yeah Mm -hmm. i yeah i did too i (laughs) I didn't like just stay in la forever and was born here yeah because he feels so so of the city um yeah
1: in a a sense you know i mean los angeles though being at the end of the country you you know most people coming here didn't start off here at least uh, certainly when he showed up I think in the twenties and he was an executive with oil companies or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then, then the depression hit and he lost his job and there's so much fun stuff to discover about Chandler. He he was married to this woman who I think was like maybe 15 to 20 years, his senior. And there's like this whole wonderful book about the different houses they lived in all over Los Angeles. And I, I don't know, he's just a really interesting figure. And I don't think, the Big Sleep, I think The Big Sleep came out. I think he might have been 49 years old. When it came out.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like a pretty late... Yeah, so like, then...
1: So even, you know what I mean? So he was late in life in a sense to being published as a mystery writer. You know, uh, I don't know. Just you're talking about him not being a Los Angeles native. It just feels like his life had an interesting trajectory. Yeah. He found this city and became its kind of poet laureate. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I... I he talks about like how no people were writing about California but no one was like writing about Los Angeles mm-hmm. in that way. Um what what is it about crime fiction in general that you find interesting and and especially Marlowe as a character and like figurehead for the crime scene of Los Angeles?
1: Um yeah, you know, it's a question I've been asking myself again recently because I'm sort of addicted to reading pulp fiction. Um in the same way that I I've read all of Raymond Chandler over many times, like probably each book I've read four to five times over a 30 year period. And I'll just pick them up again. It's like comfort food for me or something, comfort prose. And, um, and, then, and then I also read and reread this author, Richard Stark, pseudonym for Donald Westlake, who wrote these 24. And they're quite different from the Chandler voice, which is like very, Florid at times and ironic and funny and his I don't know are they similes you know and like you know she was as friendly as a tarantula on a piece of pound cake I
0: mean I mean I
1: mean who comes up with a sentence like that that's from Farewell My Lovely something like that I've kind of maybe it was Angel Food Cake or you know I mean his descriptions of people and uh, just anyway but I think the reason why I might be addicted to Pulp Fiction is I, I need the stakes or something, that, that feeling of mm. propulsion. Um, I just so have drifted far away from reading literature. Like I did pick up the overstory at some point during COVID and I read the first chapter and it was beautiful and I cried, but I'm like, I don't necessarily want 400 pages of emotion. I want, <laughs> yeah. I want a whodunit or something like, I don't know, but but that was a mystery too. Because where is he going with this? You know, he's just writing about life in a very beautiful way. But I don't know. I've somehow gotten addicted to the pressure of the storytelling in pulp fiction, and and, and uh, you know, and pulp fiction's a, a broad term, but just that I'm racing towards a revelation of some kind. I, I just I don't know and. I'm rambling, but I've gotten addicted to that. And then mm-hmm. that's what I've been trying to write myself, the sense of propulsion. Because that's what I've really come to love, especially the people out there that you know haven't read Richard Stark or you guys. It just propelled. Like, I think there was an introduction to one of the reissues of these Richard Stark books. It might have been by the great writer, Luke Song. He said something like, you can almost inhale these books mm-hmm. in like a single breath. 20, you, you could stay up all night just reading them. And I love learning the tricks of how to do that for the reader. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I, I, just a quick thing is like, there's so much in contemporary literature, like, it seems like the problem with contemporary literature is that there's like a full lack of plot. And like a, a lot of people talk about that in, in fiction, how there's like no yeah. plot anymore. There so are a lot of books out there that don't seem to offer up any stakes. You know, yeah. It's kind of like like very emotion based very internal, internal yeah, interior, yeah the, interior, interior novel so it is really interesting to see this yeah novel full of action like the pulp novels full of action in that way that like I certainly am I crave like I feel like I'm looking and for books with that more and more yeah me too Definitely. yeah yeah because it seems to be like harder and harder to find at least like contemporary literature um what, do you, what would you say are like the key components that would make up uh, a, like a noir novel? Like something that, like how, how does a book fall under that umbrella? or Like what it, what does it need to be under the umbrella of the noir?
1: Yeah, well, I guess, um, yeah, and that word noir, like pulp fiction could get overused. Yeah. I mean, I guess what makes something noir is that something, I mean, I'm going to sound very literal, something dark has occur- occurred you know, and where a deep flaw in a character has manifests itself in something violent and ugly and scary. And, you know, we're all so confused and if you're really on the edge of confusion, then, you know, terrible things can occur. And so um, these are like stories of extremists. You know, like I, I think I like reading about this criminal parker because he's always in these extreme situations and even in my soft cushion life it all feels very extreme but i'm reading about this guy who's problem solving all on a bank heist and dealing with people and, and so i look to these you know these figures the heroes or even the anti-heroes as a way to kind of get through my own life um and gosh i don't even I question i'm having another junior senior <laughs> <wrong answer. laughs> but um yeah so oh what's noir and yeah. unfortunately you know and i think about this because like in my new book the wheel of doll you know part of the convention of these books and i was i, I have a, i was to a friend who's a novelist a wonderful novelist but every time she writes a new book she's reinventing the wheel because a novel can do anything and in a sense that's why i've come to like writing pulp, you know. I'm going to have it in a, a teen time frame to keep the pressure up. Yeah. You know, something a murder or something's going to occur and my guy, the hero's got to find the killer or achieve justice of some kind or you know, so I've got a form and I've got all these, you know, it's like uh, writing a soap opera or a certain kind of poem so it gives a shape to it that I can then describe Color of the sky, or the way someone's eyes are liquid, you know, these other fun things that one gets to do as a writer to observe, to try to say, I was here, look at the beauty I noticed, or something, or I want to express that I've noticed beauty and share that, or just try to make sentences and give some joy to another human being, a reader, but then also this thing of the stakes of what's going to happen next. So anyway, noir, I think, unfortunately, there's violence and extreme situations that, you know, three of us hopefully, you know, I mean, we're law abiding, <laughs> you know, we, we all, everyone has got all sorts of issues in their life and yeah. things yeah. they have to show up for and, and people getting sick. and. But if you lead a law abiding life, you're kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, it's not quite noir, but it can yeah. certainly be yeah. uh, challenging.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting what you said about kind of like the constraints of that
1: form, mm-hmm. um,
0: being able to kind of like explore and like work more deeply with the prose. You know, mm-hmm. because you have those constraints when you're writing.
1: Yeah, the story stuff. constraint. Like, th- yeah, I still exactly. got to You know, like when I was writing the new book, it's like okay, I can go on tangents. You know, but I'm not going to go too long because the reader who's coming to this kind of book generally, or if I get readers who are more into literary fiction, I still want to service the reader who wants to turn the page. Yeah. So I'm, I'm more judicious with a quick bit of poetry, but it's sort of fun to slip that in. But also at the same time, while you're writing, this was a quote from P.G. Woodhouse he said, try to give pleasure with every sentence. Mm-hmm. so even if you're writing pulp you, and that's part of the fun and maybe the lore of Chandler he like gave pleasure with every sentence you know yeah. of course you've got your little joining sentences here or there you park the car and cross the street every now and then you got to do something just like that you know, yeah. that's not, you know but yeah. you could even do that in an interesting way so um, mm-hmm. but you know the the, the the detective novel the mystery kind of gives you a form that um, you're You know, and for the reader also.
0: Yeah. There's this one line in The Big Sleep that I I keep finding myself thinking about, which it's, like, very funny, because it's, like, such a... You would think of it as being, like, a throwaway line, but it's at some point where he's, like, gotta sit and ponder, which you don't really see Marlowe pondering all that Mm -hmm. much. He's very much going into... He knows what he... He's, like, very guided by his gut and Mm -hmm. knows how to solve these crimes so easily, but it's just this line where he's, like, And now I like sit back and I I think and I just let my it's now it's just time for me to let my feet dangle. And I don't know why. Like, I love that idea of him like sitting in his chair and his feet are just dangling probably for like hours. like He's just sitting there for hours. But yeah, it's interesting how much he can like paint such a picture with such like so few poetic words. Um, That is a really great that is a really great line yeah 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 Yeah. i don't know why it's it's like like, it's like you know exactly what he's talking about yeah exactly what he's feeling it feels like you know the timing of it too it's like kind of maybe like the end of the second act like and so now we're it's like and then the curtain goes down or something and you just see him just sitting back in his chair and his feet are dangling and we're left trying to figure out when what he's gonna do about solving the rest of
1: yeah, the well, missing
0: person.
1: One of the fun things in thinking about Marlowe, and we're sitting right here on Vermont Avenue and Franklin, is that this corridor is very much, you know, Raymond Chandler, Philip Marlowe's corridor, you know, down Franklin into Hollywood, you know, his office was somewhere on Hollywood Boulevard. A lot of the cases take place up in the hills around here. Yeah. There's one story uh, in the book Killer in the Rain, which are these early. Uh, published stories of Chandler that he then removed from print in a sense because he began to draw upon them for his novels. But, um, uh, oh, I think the the title of the story is um, either find the girl or, or try the girl. And what I love about that story, which was one of the stories that he cannibalized to write the novel Farewell, My Lovely, is that it takes place on this, like, street uh, up Beechwood Canyon. I live in Beechwood Canyon. So I like go on the street all the time and I see the house that he described. It was like a little Spanish house tucked against the side of a cliff, but there was a way to get into the house from below onto the porch, which I see when I drive up there. And I'm like, I love, because like, Chandler has meant so much to me, but some of these places, oh, and then there's this beautiful apartment building on Franklin, uh, the Montecito, which again, he wrote about in one of the short stories that I think he drew upon, um, and where, and, and the character might not have been named Marlowe because in some of the early short stories, he had some different names, mm-hmm. and then eventually it just became Marlowe. but anyway, it takes place at the Montecito, and it even talks about where you park the car behind the, the, the apartment building, and I've I, bl- I drove down the little side street <laughs> so I could see where he pulled the car in and just this beautiful old, you know, art deco 1930s building. but yeah. all this was pretty new and Chandler and then through his muse, Marlow, I don't know if you could call it a muse, but it's, uh, his, uh, vessel, uh, vessel is a good word. Sure. What's the other? Oh, avatar. Avatar. Um, yes. but maybe overused now, but yeah. Um, anyway, so it's fun, you know, that, so this foot dangling or him sitting in an apartment building. And, and I think he lived somewhere off one, at yeah, one time off Franklin. of Franklin. He was in Kenmore Franklin, Franklin. Franklin,
0: Franklin. Yeah. yeah and
1: so, you know, he's up there, yeah. you know, making his coffee and playing a solitary chess game. And, yeah. You know, he's such an unusual figure. And that's why I love the last line of the big sleep though, because he, he's, he, you know, every now and then he kisses a woman. And but it wasn't until I think the very last novel that he has some sort of affair. I think in the mm. book uh, a "Playback." But you know, but this thing, you know, this woman Silverwake who saves him at the end of, mm-hmm. of uh, "The Big Sleep," and I just always loved that last line. I'll, I'll read i got to put my glasses on. And he used the exact same line from the story that he cannibalized his own story called "The Curtain," but he repeated the last line, and so it's um. On the way downtown I stopped at a bar and had a couple couple of double scotches. They didn't do me any good. All they did was make me think of Silverwood and I never saw her again. I just love that the feeling of that line. All they did was make me think of Silverwood and I never saw her again. And the woman was wearing the silver wig. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's right. just like a lamentation yeah. there. Yeah. And yeah. oh and driving over here, like this, you know. Not necessarily great on music, but um I—I I, oh, oh Lana Del Rey, the famous singer. But she writes and sings so much about Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, in anticipation of seeing you guys, that her music is kind of like pop noir. You know what I mean? Because yeah, a lot yeah, of the stuff she expresses it, is almost really like is. you know, yeah. um you know, all they did was make me think of Silverwood, and I never saw her again. There's something like pop noir to. All her melancholy of these lost loves, which she was writing about in her yeah. teenage years or 20s. But there's a sort of glamour, there's a kind of old LA, new LA, or something. And she her, has that
0: very t- famous song, Summertime Sadness, which yeah. is like, <laughs> is there a more like noir, like LA feeling than like yeah. being sad in the summertime?
1: Yeah. Like- so, <laughs> so, anyway, I thought, I don't, I don't know if people have used that pop noir. Yeah. But I feel like she's very popular. noir.
0: Who knows? If not, you we coined it, you coined it here first, <laughs> yeah. which I love. So, yeah, why do you think that noir is so specifically, fits LA so well and, and seems to be the first genre of, like, LA writing?
1: Yeah, I know. I've often heard people wonder, like, why why noir begin, especially in such a sunny place, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, um... And maybe there's something about, like, the end of the country and it's almost like everything's spilling out here, the good, the bad, I, I don't know. But um, in downtown itself, downtown L.A., it there's something about this city built on the edge of this semi-arid desert. It just always feels dusty and dark and... Um, and I know you see those pictures of when it was all just like movie houses or something, mm-hmm, yeah. but it, it it was kind of like a city just built on the edge of the desert in Hollywood. I, I don't know. There's so much money here. And maybe, you know, you know, when people chase money and fame, this causes an erosion of their character. And, you know, it seems like these things should make them happy, you know, around the glistening pools and the cocktails, but it doesn't satisfy. And and so dark things occur. So maybe it's a little bit, you know, the light and the dark and these houses, you know, these Gothic houses tucked away. I mean, LA is a strange city because it's not a city, you know, it's like this, in a sense, you know, yeah. people live tucked away in their homes. Um, anyway, I'm not saying anything new but there's something about the wealth of the town yeah i don't know for something where you were sort of saying made me think in a reverse direction of like the great gatsby like gatsby went to new york reinvented mm-hmm. himself and like los angeles is a place where people come with these sort of meretricious dreams you know uh myself included i don't know but you know to <laughs> reinvent themselves and everyone becomes like their own little icarus mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. And depending on how high they fly or not, and maybe there's something about, like, fantasies spun here, you know, the like the facade. um, But there's also a lot of beauty to Los Angeles and the ocean and the flowers everywhere. And um, so, I don't know, it's not, you know, it's an interesting mix. Yeah. But, yeah, it made me think of, like, Gatsby reinventing himself and having this mansion and throwing these parties for the you know because great gatsby that's a that's hugely noir you know mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. completely dark you know and yeah. l.a full of gatsby's you know
0: makes yeah. me
1: think. Of, and fitzgerald wrote about los angeles the last tycoon very much you know about yeah again coming back to that old topic in american literature the american dream like it part through be the American illusion.
0: Yeah. What do you think people, what do you think, um, why do you think people keep coming back to this genre? Like we have a lot of, like you said, like Ron Del Rey is kind of pop noir. Um, there was that movie Under the Silver Lake, which is like very much a contemporary noir. Um, what do you think brings people back to noir? Or like wanting to kind of evolve the form to fit like a modern day idea? Yeah,
1: well, I I think it's sort of what we were talking about a little bit. It's this yeah. form that you know, I mean,
0: push forward.
1: Like I in my some college course, some professor said the first murder mystery was Oedipus. You know, yeah. and because he was like needed to find out who killed his father yeah. or whatever and it was like oh my god he did or whatever. <laughs> you know what i mean and so it was like and so every detective has been on an ethical quest or some kind of psychological quest since and so there's an element like oh it's like a poem or, you know maybe there's certain poems you know that have a rhythm that we all find pleasing and so the murder mystery has a rhythm you know who knows 100 years from now human beings will evolve And that might not be the form that keeps getting played with over and over again. Yeah. But it's sort of like it holds the viewer. What, you know, what is going to happen next? And will the mystery be solved? So it's, I think it's, you know, mysteries are the form that people love playing with. uh, But, you know, like they also love playing with the romantic comedy, you know, um, So, but I think noir, because it has that edge and um, it makes it fun to spoof or try to reinvent or put into science fiction, you know, like Blade Runner's, you know, kind of like marlo yeah. or, you <laughs> yeah. know mm-hmm. you know but in 20 whatever you know zipping around in a ever raining los angeles hey that's right blade runners la I yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. So true. yeah 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 it really yeah is. Yeah. And, yeah and
1: then you know and then you've got that famous building downtown um where the guy who made the replicants
0: Oh, lived.
1: yeah. I it was. Oh, the Bradbury. The
0: Bradbury, yeah. yeah.
1: Even though it's not Ray Bradbury, but it has it is, like. Yeah, yeah. can yeah. you believe? Yeah. And that's a really interesting building inside. It's beautiful yeah. architecture. It's really spectacular. It's got these like elevators, all this ornate, exposed uh, wraparound hallways. Uh, I, in my show, TV show, Blunt Talk. Because of like loving Blade and stuff, I, you got to the film
0: there. That's amazing. Um, so, I mean, it seems, it, I feel like we may have already touched on this a little bit, but as you're write- right, continue to foray into like making these pulp novels today, do you think there's like a need and desire for noir and detective stuff to have a resurgence? Do you think it could be kind of like what it was ever?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, you know, there's fads, of course,
0: yeah, or, yeah.
1: you know, or, and I know like in the TV and movie business, it's always like, Oh, wow, people really need comedies or, <clears throat> you know, yeah. or what, or in the seventies film at least was all, you know, very serious and grappling with the Vietnam war, let's say, or there was a great, you know, it's like cinema was happening. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, now it's all you know superhero movies but in literature i think again goes you know follows its own <laughs> course and of course the, the place of the book in society is changing but mm-hmm. in terms of popularity I, I feel like detective novels are enduring more than like anything you yeah. know um like the bestsellers are all seem to be murder mysteries or I don't actually know what's on the bestseller list but <laughs> um, but it does seem like that stuff's really popular you yeah. know and I mean I got drawn you know I really enjoy all the like the Jack Reacher novels by Lee child and I was just like you know just so admired like wow one a year and the really fun page Turners and so I mean he's a detective you know he's a brawling you know, guy six foot five i mean the descriptions of jack Reacher and these elaborate descriptions always of like the torque of his punch you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I mean, if i'm moving at 50 miles an hour like you get his internal calculations that he's always doing yeah, yeah he's very scientific but i could he hits someone not always but, um <laughs> anyway but i think it's just seems like very popular at least in literature so it's just kind of it's just still going strong
0: yeah. No, that's really true. I just I mean, I guess I kind of forgot since we work in this bookstore that like you yeah. can in the same way that you could buy Chandler for like two ninety nine, you could still buy a lot of like popular mystery mm-hmm. novels in the same mass market way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forget this as well. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I think yeah. that's just blind spot bookseller <laughs> yeah, blind spot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> blind spot. Yeah. Jonathan, do you have any closing thoughts?
1: Um, just yeah, so I didn't Hear what you guys were discussing with the Big Sleep but for anybody out there what's really fun if you after you read the Big Sleep is to then find this collection of Raymond Chandler's short stories called Killer in the Rain and you can see the two stories that he kind of smushed together and then rewrote he did a lot of rewriting you know so he took his own stories that he'd published in the 30s or early 40s to make it into the, this novel The Big Sleep. So I just think it's interesting to see how he rewrote things, what he chose, what he uh, took out. And he did that with most of his novels, I think, except for the long goodbye and playback. I think the last two books were not cannibalized from short stories. And in, in one of his novels, The Lady in the Lake, literally, there was the original short story called The Lady in the Lake. So he actually used the same title. But for example, like I was saying that, um, one short story, try the girl, mm-hmm. uh, that, and maybe a story called Mand- or something Jade Mandarin. Or he drew upon a couple different stories for making Farewell, My Lovely. Um, but it's just interesting to see what he did. And then also, I think it's good for writers out there. Sometimes you have a long short story, you know, rework your own material. Yeah,
0: that's what mm-hmm. I was going to say. Is like for like writers, that's kind of a really interesting thing to see, like how. he like what he
1: chose to cut and what sentences he kept like the last one the last sentence yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, he he kept the exact same last sentence which i happen to love the rhythm of but then you know the famous scene in the big sleep where which they recreated in the movie with bogart you know where like he's with the old man surrounded by the orchids and the blankets and you know yeah and so there's a description of that in you know the short story versions And then there's the description of that in the novel, and he made it even more elaborate. But you see the architecture and the framework of the same concept, and then he went back to it and had even more fun with
0: it. Mm, made it even hotter
1: and all that. And (laughs) and then he also changed the killer in the story. I won't give it away. (laughs) It was a different killer. Or there's, you know, uh what? yeah. Oh
0: no, now, now I like, now minute. I have yeah. to read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like who else could it be? It could yeah. be anyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It could be anyone. Could be yeah. anyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so well, much for joining you. Yeah, us. For so you were a dream guest, so we're yeah. so happy Always. you could you could be here yeah. with yeah. us in yeah. our fun little setup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really fun, cute yeah. Yeah. in our Yeah. Right yeah. Um, and I guess, I guess we sign off to our listeners. Um, thank you so much for tuning in to our first episode of Lit Angeles. Um, coming up next, we'll be talking about LA Woman. Um, and that episode will be coming out really soon. So, so stay tuned. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.